You're listening to Youth Ministry Maverick, a podcast about mold-breaking methods to invest in the next generation of the church. Here's your host, Jeff Harding. Hey everybody, this is Jeff. Welcome back to Youth Ministry Maverick. You're listening to episode 80, Trauma in Youth Ministry. Well, trauma is something that a lot of us in ministry are dealing with, hearing about more and more, and thus it's most important for us to be able to have up-to-date awareness and strategies of how to recognize and help minister to students with trauma. We did talk about it a few years ago uh, with our guest Paul Ward, which we will mention here in our discussion, but this topic is certainly worth readdressing. Our guest today is Jane Lewis. Jane is a seminary student in Denver, and she's studying to be a clinical health counselor. And uh, her and I have a great discussion about how to see the signs of trauma in students. So let's hop into this conversation with Jane. Jane, thank you so much for hopping on the podcast with me. Uh, It's fun to talk back and forth and get things arranged. So thank you for making this work. Uh, For those who are watching or listening, could you give us a little introduction about who you are? Yeah, absolutely. Thanks for having me. This is super fun. Um, I'm Jane. I was born and raised in Colorado. I'm still here. Um, it's the best place on earth. I'm biased and I will own that, but I still believe that firmly. Um, I am a grad student. I go to Denver Seminary. I just started my second year there, um, in the clinical mental health counseling program. Um, yeah, man, what else do I do? I nanny part-time. It's a fantastic job. I always tell people that it really nicely balances kind of the, you know, the intense kind of heavy content that I can learn Mm -hmm. uh, in school uh, with just like this pure, joyous little one-year-old that I'm with all the time. So it's a super fun job. Um, Yeah, but that's pretty much all I'm doing right now is school and work. (laughs) Okay. Yeah. I I know that life. Very cool. Yeah. Yeah, I was just in Colorado a few weeks ago for a former student's wedding. It was my first time there and like 15 years. So Colorado was pretty amazing. Yeah, it's great. Awesome. Right now, right now too, the trees are like golden and red. It's yeah. stunning. So, <laughs> yeah. So I'm in the St. Louis area. So I'm finally living somewhere where I can experience fall. Uh, I'm, I'm from Phoenix and I lived in Dallas. And so it's like <laughs> seasons and basements are brand new for me. So um, <laughs> it's been, it's been a lot of fun. That's so awesome. Yeah, no, it's been it's been great. And I'm used to state pride being in Texas for a while. So I definitely experienced that. <laughs> um, so uh, as people can tell from the name of this episode, uh, we're talking about how to pick up on signs of trauma uh, from students who are walking into your ministry. Um, I do think as society and at least parts of the Big C Church are doing better at being aware of trauma, uh, but there's a difference between being aware and having strategy of how to handle it. Yeah. Um, for those who are listening, who've been with me kind of since the beginning, uh, you'll remember about two years ago, we talked to our buddy, Paul Ward, who's a chaplain in a care facility for students. And he's also been working with youth ministry, working in youth ministry for a long time. So he has, 
he has uh, some good experiences with his job and some good insight on just trauma in general and what he's seeing from students who are walking into his facility. Uh, but those who are watching and listening, for the most part, you are youth pastors or youth workers in the church now. And so if you're not a mental health pro- professional um, or have much experience, I think that really lends itself to some hard times with students nowadays. Because uh, in 2022, you definitely need that as a youth worker. Uh, so Jane, could you share kind of what led you to um, seminary to lead you to wanting to be uh, a clinical health worker? Um, I love asking our guests uh, kind of where they got to where they're at, because oftentimes people who are listening could be like, hey, that's kind of where I am right now or why I'm doing what I'm doing. So yeah, how'd you get to doing what you do now? Yeah, absolutely. Um the story is like so multifaceted. I always say like the Spark Notes version is um I was very involved in the church. Um I felt led to I would say like church leadership in some capacity. I wasn't exactly sure where I would fit in um with that, but I definitely just felt the call to continue to serve the church in a more um vocational capacity. Mm-hmm. Um, so I started undergrad at CU Boulder. I chose political science because I was like very intrigued in politics. I found it. I'm an Enneagram eight, if you're familiar with the Enneagram. So uh, familiar. Mm-hmm. I loved to, uh, argue, <laughs> um, <laughs> I wanted to go to law school. That was kind of like the vision that I had as a high mm-hmm. school. Student. Mm-hmm. Um, and then I actually got to take kind of this chance trip to Israel, which is bizarre. I know that that's so random. Um, But essentially, someone reached out to me on Twitter of all places and said, um, I actually wrote your name down on this list for a trip to Israel. It's going to cost you $500. I think you would really like it. You know, I hope they reach. I hope this organization reaches out to you. Mm -hmm. And I was like, surely this is not real. Like, (laughs) it's kind of scary. Um, but they did. And I went by myself. Um, and I would say it was just probably like that spiritual experience where it was like, okay, I actually love the Bible. This makes a lot of sense to me. Um, being in Israel, I, I encountered, um, I would just say like a handful of moments that there was, that it was that tangible, like the, the spirit of the Lord is like mm. here right now. Um, And it was just, it was, yeah, it was very overwhelming in the best way. I felt very passionate about scripture and just like um, trying to figure out how to provide an opportunity for everyone to have that experience um, without having to travel to the Middle East, you know, if possible. Um, And so I, I actually came back to Colorado after that trip and decided to leave CU and pursue my bachelor's degree in theology. Um, I got, I got that at Colorado Christian University, which was a large change, if you're familiar at all with CU Boulder <laughs> climate. A little bit. Well, I also know, so the student who I went to watch get married, she went to Colorado Christian. So okay. uh, I'm familiar definitely with the juxtaposition and yes. even how Colorado Springs is kind of the mecca of the Christian West in the United States as well. So oh, yeah, right. <laughs> yeah, it was a stark contrast, but I think I just, I felt um, a lot more natural community at CCU, um, felt like I just, I was able to plug in and like get involved there a lot easier. Um, 
my professors in that program were absolutely incredible. I had like just the best experience ever. I was getting to work out, you know, these big questions that I had about my faith. I was pretty new. I would say that I wasn't like fully on board, sold out for Jesus until I was a senior in high school. Um, so I was relatively new in my faith and was just getting to explore that under these like massive brained, you know, super intellectual, but also just very genuinely pious and gracious people, um, in my program. So it was amazing, really good experience. And then, um, at that time I was really heavily involved with the church. Um, that's when I kind of started to feel like maybe there's a call for me in vocational ministry. Um, and I experienced some church trauma, um, at that time, they kind of just shook everything up. I was at that point, I just kind of was like, okay, actually, (laughs) I don't think I want to work in a church, but I know I want to work with church people. Um, and I, I felt like at the time because of my experience and also just because of the experiences of so many people around me. Um, that the best way to serve church people would be mental health care. <laughs> so, yeah. um, which, you know, now we know the church is not immune. Um, we need it too. And so I kind of moved more into, I actually was accepted into the master of divinity program at Denver seminary, um, and just switched over to clinical mental health counseling instead. So that's how I got, that's how I got to this program. Yeah. Wow. Very cool. Very cool. Yeah. I. um so I did end up graduating with a poli sci degree. Um, I changed the, I changed majors a lot. Um, I just knew that I didn't want to get, ironically enough, I knew I did not want to get a theology or a ministry undergrad only because I had no idea how long it would be until I was in voc- vocational ministry. Um, so, and I really did enjoy politics as well. And I joke with people that it only took me getting a degree to become completely apathetic and frustrated with it. Um, But uh, no, yeah. So, and then I went to the other DTS. I went to Dallas Theological Seminary. Um, And so, uh, yeah, same, you know, because high school, kind of a little bit college, I just wanted to graduate and get through it. Um, I didn't have an on-campus experience. I was a commuter student. And um, so, living on campus and being on campus at seminary and actually studying what I wanted to study was a massive turnaround. So I can kind of relate to that. It's very cool. And yeah, um, yeah we'll, we'll hop into that church hurt part a little bit, but um, yeah, I think uh, mental health overall, but even just counseling and the stigma that's gratefully lessening against that kind of stuff. Um, you know, I'm, I'm glad well, I'm not glad for your church hurt. I'm glad that God blessed you with the perspective of, you know what? I think this is what people who go to church need because they obviously do. Yeah. And, um, you know, a few years ago when I spoke with Paul about student trauma, you know, he he kind of got the perspective or the, the experience of like picking up the pieces from church hurt and trauma that uh, students had. Um, and there's a lot of directions we could go when talking about trauma. You know, we could talk about the Me Too movement, the Church Too movement, uh, fundamentalist legalism, shame. Um, but undoubtedly, church hurt has kind of added a new layer of trauma, especially for uh, evangelical Christians over the last s- several decades, uh, usually uh, younger, so millennials and, and Gen Z kind of identify more with that. Um, certainly 
Gen X and older can, but I think online we typically see those younger generations. So Jane, in your own experience with being in school, with studying that, and even from your past experience of trauma, do you feel like, um, well, one, where do you see trauma showing up with teenagers that youth workers could be aware of? And then two, even though they're younger, do you think church hurt could tie in with teenagers now? So, yeah. 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 I absolutely think that, um, teenagers kind of this, you know, sixth through 12th grade youth student that we've been talking about. I, I definitely think that they are impacted by trauma. Um, which is unfortunate because that's kind of the time where we want to protect them as much as we can, you know, so that they're not moving into adulthood healing from trauma. Mm -hmm. But yeah, I mean, it, there's, it's undeniable that, um, teenagers are impacted by it. Um, and then in terms of church hurt there, I kind of came up with like two ways that I felt like students could be um, affected by church hurt, church trauma. Okay. Um, not all church hurt becomes trauma. I want to just like give that caveat, you know, um, but a lot of it is, unfortunately, it just kind of causes that undeniable, you know, I was this way before this traumatic change happened. And now I feel like my life is very different. That's kind of like a very basic definition of what trauma does. Um, but yeah, so I think that students can be affected indirectly, which is kind of, you know, they're downstream of the, you know, church hurt, church trauma event that happens to their parents. Um, so, you know, the parents in that situation would kind of be the primary victim of the wounding caused by a church leader per se. Um, potentially, or the church culture, um, or they can be affected directly, which would make the students themselves the primary victim of the wounding. Um, I would say that most commonly, if a student themselves are being directly impacted by church hurt or church trauma, um, it's most likely, you know, because they are the youngest people in the church and the most vulnerable to violations like sexual abuse, um, spiritual abuse and manipulation, grooming, you know, things like that, I would say are the most common ways that students are going to be affected by church hurt. Um, and then indirectly, you know, there are all kinds of things that their parents could be hurt by within the church. Mm -hmm. uh, so indirectly, I would say that most often um, harm, harm occurs due to the fact that the students might not be the ones directly suffering from like bad leadership, toxic community, um, but they will suffer as a result of having their consistent community changed, taken away if their parents decide to leave. Um, what they knew is going to be different as a result of this church hurt. Um, when youth ministry is done really well, it contributes to overall you know, social, educational, spiritual health of these students. Um, you know, we see things like an increase in GPA, higher motivation, um, more family participation and kind of connectedness. Um, and that's with students who are actively involved in student ministry. Um, but the problem is that a church can have a really good student ministry, but have abusive leadership or a toxic church culture. Um, and so, that can be very confusing for the students whose parents are affected by, you know, more of that toxic slash potentially abusive atmosphere. Um, but allowing them to stay in the youth ministry that they know and love 
when their parents, you know, might be leaving a church or trying to get out of an unhealthy, potentially abusive situation. Um, it's important for the parents to be extracted from a traumatizing or wounding situation. So that presents a difficult family dynamic. And typically parents probably have to make the decision to pull their kids out of um, the youth ministry as well. Mm-hmm. So that, that you know, causes a big upheaval of what's known and reliable um, in a student's life. <clears throat> um, and then if the student is directly harmed by a church, um, they, you know, might not necessarily be able to identify the way that their parents would um, and then take action based off of what's happening to them, um, whether they're being mistreated, abused um, in a church setting. It's just not always the same, obviously, as an adult picking up on toxic qualities of a church or mm-hmm. a leader um, based on praxis, personality, theological beliefs. Like, obviously, a teenager isn't necessarily picking up on those things when they're in youth ministry. Um so then there's a potential for them to be in damaging situations for a lot longer um, at, if their parents are inv- invested in this church, unaware of what's happening to their students. Um, and youth ministry tends to be a highly susceptible environment for potential abuse. Unfortunately, we've just seen this over and over again, especially in the past you know, decade or so. Mm-hmm. Uh, this most often happens with a lack of clear boundaries, I would say, um, with staff and volunteer leaders um, in a variety of ways. But um, it's an important caveat to note. I felt like that abuse doesn't happen because of some sort of deficiency or like lack of awareness, even if the person is a student and young and impressionable, you know. Um, I just felt like it's important to say that abuse can happen because human beings desire connectedness (laughs) and um, we seek situations that that will most likely happen has the greatest capacity, Um, which is a fantastic desire that gets taken advantage of and violated by abusive people. Yeah. 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 I thank you. Yeah. That was a lot, a lot of good stuff there. A lot of things that um, just come up in my own mind of things I've heard or experienced uh, from being in ministry as long as I have, but um, even several things, especially dealing with trauma and loss and abuse that I'm becoming more aware of now. So uh, my wife and I are actually about a little over a third of the way through our classes uh, to be certified to be a foster home. And uh, we, yeah, so a lot of the week's classes of content obviously have to do with why the kids are in foster care in the first place. And I mean, rip your heart out, just terrible. And unfortunately just everything that's coming out with, or has come out already with the SBC, with churches overall, youth ministry stuff, you know, the Houston Chronicle, I think broke three or 400 different youth pastors, I think just in Texas, even um, that were accused of stuff. And a lot of them weren't brought to light and, um, yeah, there's, there's so much room for terrible things to happen. And like you said, a lot of it, especially when it comes to teenagers can be born out of a good God given natural desire to connect and have community. And, you know, whether it's like the serpent in the garden or tempters later in scripture, like there's truth promised, but it's really just 
deceit and separation from what God really wants for you that's mm-hmm. best for you. And it's this twisted, um, distorted, false truth that just, it, it doesn't leave you empty. It wounds you and it does terrible things. And, um, you know, I hadn't thought much about the secondary effect um, of church hurt for teenagers. You know, um, so often they want to break out and be independent, but um yeah, especially if their parents are feeling really wounded and they're like, well, I can connect with this youth group here. But um, yeah, when they start entering, uh, entering adolescence is when they're asking, who am I? They're trying to figure out their I- identity. And if it's kind of being filled when it comes to church with, well, they're people who hurt my mom and dad. They're people who aren't there for our family. They're people who do terrible things or say terrible things to us if we don't do things for the church, you know, that can have really detrimental effects on upcoming generations, even before they get in front of a youth pastor or a volunteer, <laughs> they've yeah. already kind of been jaded to a lot of that. And that can be really harmful. Yeah, absolutely. Mm-hmm. Um, so for those who are watching and listening, um, who are thinking, okay, I understand, you know, there's as you said, even with your story, but even just what what you said and how you explained it, it's multifaceted with what students could be walking in with. So is there any kind of general checklist or even some resources that a youth worker who's watching or listening could say, I kind of want to learn so I can have a basic understanding of how to help or at least be aware of these students who are walking in with trauma? Yeah, absolutely. So, you know, trauma is incredibly broad. Um, People can be coming in with trauma from all kinds of different situations. Um, So I'm going to discuss kind of the impact and presentation more broadly. Some of it will be like the context of youth ministry and applicable there. Um, I also have to give a shout out to Diane Langberg. I don't know if you're familiar with her. She's incredible. She has informed so much of my trauma-informed lens, um, everything I feel like maybe probably 99.5% of what <laughs> I know and use in my life comes from Diane. So right. I had to give that a shout out. Um, yeah, so she has this quote. Uh, it says, when God's people worship untouched by or dismissive of trauma, they are not worshiping the God of the scriptures. So that just speaks so boldly and pointedly to the fact that we are going to encounter trauma um, and not in any care position, whether it's a therapist or a pastor or youth ministry, volunteer, even like we're going to encounter this. And so I think this conversation is very needed. Um, yeah. So the church for a long time was in denial about trauma as a diagnostic criteria <laughs> in general but especially within the church itself, like, I think it was just something that we were like, oh, surely that's not, you know, part of what happens here. Um, a lot of people are coming to church with wounds. As you said, a lot of students are walking in with trauma, whether it's church related or not. Um, you know, there's that saying about the church kind of being a hospital for the sick. And I just think that that's especially true kind of in the world that we're living in. Um, And so I think that points even more to the point that, like, we shouldn't just advertise that we're a hospital, but we should actually be one. Um, So this is very important to, you know, equip people and make sure people are becoming more and more trauma informed, especially people who work in the church. Um, 
So I, I feel like meeting a student or a family with church hurt and trauma is a unique opportunity to show Jesus um, because they're back in church. <laughs> so it's like um, Diane Langberg basically says that trauma is best healed in part by a reversal of the traumatic experience, um, which is especially opportune in a church if trauma was experienced in a church. Um, because you get the opportunity to essentially reverse whatever traumatized the student or their family or both all of the above. Um, so for example, um, those who, who were silenced or oppressed or shut down, you know, made to feel really small in their traumatic experience, whatever that would be, um, they need to experience the opposite of that, which is being heard, um, given opportunity and space to openly share their story with emotional validation and empathy. So one thing that I would say to um, workers in student ministry, it would be responding not necessarily with things like, you know, I'm so sorry, that's so terrible, because that kind of, that can make someone feel like they are, they have to take on the burden of like emotional support. Um, It kind of flips the roles there, but instead responding with empathetic language like that is very isolating. Or, you know, even simply how overwhelming, you know, just like figuring out how we would feel in the situation when someone is vulnerably sharing their story and using that language to show that we're empathetic and compassionate. Um, Validation of the importance of their experience. Obviously, the stories that these students or people are sharing in church are incredibly important to them in their life. And so... Um, just validating that, yeah, that is a really important thing that happened to you. And I'm glad we're talking about it. Um, and in terms of like just being heard, trauma victims are not out for revenge, <laughs> no matter what anybody says, you know, sharing our story is not an act of like vengeance. I think it really is. It does speak to the truth of we need a reversal of our trauma experience to effectively move forward. Um, And so getting to share our story openly and in a safe environment, I think, is a massive part of that. Um, Diane, she talks about the three T's. So someone healing from trauma needs talking, tears, and time. Um, And I love that. That's very applicable to youth student ministry because they need a space to talk. They need a space to cry. And they need consistency over a period of time. Um, And I think people who work in student ministry are uniquely set up to provide space for all three of those things. Um, And then obviously just being able to kind of draw the line between this is where I can fill in. This is where I can speak into your life. And this is where you need like a licensed qualified mental health provider. Um, So just keeping probably a running list of people in the community who are qualified, you know, maybe have experience with students, um, vetted, safe people who you can point to and give to families who might need extra support. So, yeah. And then I would say the last thing probably is just consistency. I think a lot of times people can come on really strongly on the front end and be really excited about someone joining, you know, joining the church, joining the ministry, and then kind of fade out over time. But when someone um, comes in with trauma, they especially need consistent people who are, you know, willing to sit through hearing the same thing over and over and over again. Um, because a lot of times that's what trauma does. So yeah, those are the the major things that I had. 
Very cool. Yeah, I love that. Yes, I've seen Diane stuff on Twitter, and I've seen people who I respect refer to her as well. So um, that's very cool. And yeah, I love the distinction you made with um, listening and presence and consistency, and definitely being able to refer to professionals and have, <clears throat> excuse me, have a short list of that. But there is, even if it's like waiting in the midst of like finding that connection and meeting with the, with the family and the parents, um, you know, when parents are, uh, dropping off their student there and aware that their student has trauma, it's like, all right, here we go again. Let's, let's see what happens. And they might put on a smile and you have no idea until, like you said, you might hear a hard story and then later hear it again. it's like, okay. And so, when youth workers know what signs to look for, they can really be aware of more so than just, let me just be nice and listen and be here for this, for this student, but also like, okay, I think I need to go um, read what Jane was talking about and look for these signs and go talk to the youth pastor and say, Hey, do we have anyone who's an elder or a youth worker or someone here at the church who's trained who can maybe come in here as well? You know, just being able to, help and um and not probably you probably said something like this but probably also it's good not not to make the feel not to make the student feel like okay now we have to care for you like let's go out of our way and you know just hey you're welcome here and as you're welcome here we also want to be able to hear you more and realize that you know you're walking in with more than billy or robert is and so let's let let's hear you out and um if you need if worship is too loud if there's something said in a message that's triggering like you know, there are adults hanging out in the lobby you can come sit out here on the couch and have a snack or whatever you know just kind of being aware of some things almost like you would for kids also who are on the spectrum but obviously for different reasons and so yeah, yeah a lot of good stuff there mm-hmm. um well jane this has been a lot of fun thank you so much for joining me if people want to connect with you online uh, to see what you're doing, uh, what you're studying, where can they do that? Yeah, I am a Twitter girl. (laughs) That will always be my place for connection. I can't believe how many people I've met through Twitter. It's pretty incredible, actually. Redeeming of that crazy website. Um, But my username on Twitter is Jane Elizabeth, spelled with an S and an extra H at the end. So you can find me there. (laughs) Cool. I will put that link in the show notes for everyone. Um, but yeah, Jane, thank you so much. Uh, it was a lot of fun meeting you and, uh, you've given us and definitely me a lot more to think about when it comes to how we help students in trauma. Thank you again for joining me. Thank you so much. That concludes today's episode. Thanks again to Jane for joining me. If you haven't already, please like, and subscribe to this podcast wherever you're listening to it and be sure to check out our website, youthministrymaverick.com. There, you can see a comprehensive list of our guests, their bio information, some organizations that can help you in your ministry, some articles I've published, and a store to help support the podcast. Also, we would love if you give us a review on Apple Podcasts, not just a rating, but a review. It helps our visibility, and we would really appreciate that. If you do leave us a review, Take a screenshot of it and send it to me, and I will personally mail you a thank you card with some podcast swag that you can't get on the store. 
Well, that does it for today. Thanks again for listening. Please share this if it helps others that you know, and we hope that you've been encouraged by it. Until next time, adios.